0: this is reset i'm sasha ann simons we made it to the end of the week now let's take a look back at the news that you need to know but you might have missed from around chicago and the rest of the state it's time for our weekly news recap Extremist group, the Oath Keepers, played a big role in the January 6th insurrection of the U.S. Capitol. Nine current Chicago police officers are under internal investigation for having ties with the Oath Keepers. Mayor Brandon Johnson asked city council to reject a key part of an agreement that he negotiated with the Fraternal Order of Police just days ago. Chicago Police Superintendent
1: Larry Snelling has been on the hot seat for about six hours now, explaining the police department's nearly $2 billion budget before the city council.
0: Here to take us behind the week's headlines is Brandon Pope, reporter and anchor at CW26 and host of WBEZ's Making Podcast. Hey, Brandon. Hey, how you doing? Doing well. Thanks for being here. And Chicago Tribune State Government Reporter Dan Petrella is back. Hey, Dan. Hello. Good to be here. And joining us for the first time on The Recap is Quinn Myers, who covers the Wicker Park, Bucktown and Westtown neighborhoods, as well as City Council for Block Club Chicago. Welcome, Quinn. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'll start with you. And we got to start with the exciting stuff, some numbers. <laughs> That's because it's budget season at City Hall. And I know that you've been spending a lot of time, Quinn, in council chambers as the alders are hearing from various departments. So let's begin with the police department's nearly $2 billion budget. Uh, what changes are being proposed?
2: You know, so the police department budget is mostly flat. There is about a $91 million increase. And I know what you're probably thinking, how is that flat? But it is a $2 billion budget, right? So mm-hmm. um, Brandon, uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson, a couple weeks ago, was asked, you know, hey, why are you raising the police department budget? He defended that and said these are really just um, kind of uh, raises that we're accounting for. The budget is mostly flat, so we're not seeing a huge increase in police spending. Um, there are some interesting details coming out of that mm-hmm. uh, on Tuesday, um, as we just heard. There was a very long, as there always is, budget hearing with the police brass, including. Um, New superintendent, Larry Snelling. And, you know, sometimes these can get quite contentious uh, between progressive and uh, more conservative older people. This one was not so much that way. And I think possibly because we just went through the whole confirmation process with Larry Snelling last month, they kind of got a lot of that out of their system. He's, The consensus pick, Um, he's popular with um, the kind of uh, Law and Order crew and also some of the more progressive, all their people. But we did hear a lot about what is the department doing with their helicopters? What does it mean for uh, command staff at all of their districts? Um, What about the co-responder model? Um, that we are seeing, which is also, you know, kind of coming through the health department. So there, there are a lot of open questions about how we police. That's yeah. m- more than the spending that we're actually hearing Well, about.
0: One, of, one of the things that Mayor Johnson has supported is this treatment, not trauma strategy, right? That's uh, using mental health staff to cover certain calls. And, and Larry Snelling, as you mentioned, he testified at city council budget hearings this week. I'm curious if he was also supportive of hiring non police responders, like people with mental health training.
2: He is. He's a big supporter of it. You know, we're seeing this, um, the CARE pilot program, which is the co responder model from the city, um, started as part of the, the larger treatment on trauma. It's one plank of that proposal, which also includes uh, reopening mental health clinics across the city. Um, but Larry Snelling has said hey, this would be great to free up officers um, from. You know mental health calls, nonviolent uh, opioid overdoses, situations where maybe a police officer doesn't need to be there and yeah. free them up to, um, you know, fight violent crime. And this, if we go back a couple of years, this was a pretty big tenet of the Defund the Police movement, right? To bring in non police resources to handle, uh, especially the mental health calls that we yeah. see across the city.
0: So this would mean CPD would convert certain jobs in the police department into civilian so positions? So that
2: is um, kind of a separate thing in the way um, the police department is um, suggesting through. Um, Uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson's 2024 budget to add 400 civilian jobs and that also would have maybe some of the same effects where uh, it would free up sworn officers to um, get back out on the street. But um, the the co-responder pilot program, that's a separate model that is um, actually funded through the health department.
0: Dan and Brandon, what do you all think about the mayor's budget proposal?
3: I think that, you know, the police budget was going to be one of the most closely watched parts of the mayor's whole budget proposal, given all the controversy that went on during the campaign about his previous comments um, in support of, you know, the defund the police movement. Um, and he made good on his word that he wouldn't um, lower the police budget. I think it will be interesting to see how he, um, you know, works with some of his more progressive allies on the city council <laughs> to address some of their concerns about the way policing has been done. Um, you know, I know that's something, a conversation that's been happening on the state level as well. Um, The Safety Act, which we all may know from the elimination of cash bail, also included some provisions testing out some of these co-responder models um, of policing. So it'll be interesting to see if the city can really pursue that in an aggressive way.
1: Yeah, his more progressive supporters probably aren't happy with the increase in the police budget. I believe it's like at least a 3% increase from Lori Lightfoot's uh, proposal that she had on the table there. Uh, But outside of that, in the policing issue... I mean, we're just talking outside about this—the the migrant crisis we're dealing with. Only $150 million, a hundred fifty million dollars. A lot of that—that's not going to cut it.
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> nowhere
1: close. Yeah, right. That is. So you know,
0: a shortfall for sure. It,
1: yeah. So we're looking at that number. I think there's a lot of head scratching right now because. It can't really be called a complete budget when we know good and well if this crisis continues to go on the way it has been. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be more than one hundred fifty million for sure.
0: So the agency that manages the city nine one one and three one one call centers, um, they offered up some data at, at the hearings. That's pretty alarming. Fill us in.
2: Yeah. So OEMC, um, which has also kind of been on the front lines of the migrant um, response here, they also they're the staffers who are. Uh, downtown, when the buses come in, and my colleague Alex Hernandez has done some great reporting on how few Spanish speakers uh, are there to actually um, receive the migrants, and that is being echoed in the call centers. Um, Which, I think, what? Um, yeah, and so older people, I know um, Alderwoman Ruth Cruz, Northwest Side Alderwoman, was really on, um, you know, uh, during the uh, OEMC budget hearing earlier this week, was really on officials being like, hey, why do we only have, I believe it's six um, Spanish speaking, uh, call takers, you know, um, in a city where we have, um, a third uh, of the city, uh, are, uh, uh Hispanic, right. And, um, yeah. um, you know, maybe more even speak Spanish. So it's a huge issue. And it's, um, the OEMC saying they're working on filling, uh, more roles. There is about a hundred there are about 170 vacancies. Um, and they've been hiring uh, more people this month, I believe 10, uh, new 911 dispatchers and, uh, the, over the past week, and then 14 more expected in November. Yeah. So they're making some progress, but it is ongoing. Concern. Yeah, for yeah, sure. We'll
0: Anybody else surprised about the fact that there are only six 311 Spanish speaking dispatchers?
1: That's shocking. Like, <laughs> I'm what? When you said that, I'm like, Yo, what? Six? Whoa. Yeah. I mean, that. I wonder what
3: that means in terms of how frequently you can call and actually find someone. I can't imagine the hours that those six people are working or covering. Yeah. The full amount of time that you would need to right. cover those services.
0: Well, Brandon mentioned migrants. Any other major takeaways from this week's budget hearings? You'd say. Um,
2: well, you know, I think. I mean, there's. We can get more into the police stuff. There's. We could talk about that for an hour, probably. But um, oh, oh, we will. Uh, my my colleague Maxwell Evans was at the Department of the Environment hearing yesterday, which is interesting because this is a new department or they're reestablishing it. It was. It's long been kind of on the progressive wish list yeah. to bring this back. Um, it was closed about ten years ago. Um, Mayor Johnson's 2024 budget. It allocates about 1.8 million dollars for that, um, and uh, Maxwell was there yesterday. And it, you know, his questions were, "Okay, so what exactly are they going to do with this money and the staff?" Um, and a big uh, conversation was around enforcement, enforcing environmental regulations, which has been shifted to the health department. Um, when the department starts, uh, officials said yesterday, they will not have that enforcement power, but they're hoping as they kind of get going to bring some of that back. Okay. Um, so you know, we we still aren't totally sure what this department will yeah, look like. Yeah, we've been waiting for information uh, on this. Exactly. Alderman Riley, I think, put it distinctly where he said, where's the beef here? Like, you know, what are we actually doing here? Let's, let's give it some teeth. Let's make sure that they can actually go after people who are polluting, you know, or or whatever. So right. um, we're still waiting on official details from that. We got a bit of a glimpse yesterday. All right. You mentioned police. Let's, let's talk about them, Quinn. We've been talking
0: quite a bit this week about a recent Sun-Times WBEZ investigation that looked into uh, CPD's ties to the right-wing oath keepers. Now, the superintendent addressed this during the hearings. What did he say?
2: Exactly? So, right. So, um, BZ sometimes report found nine current uh, CPD officials or officers um, have ties to the Oath Keepers group, which uh, was instrumental in planning the January 6th insurrection. Right, um, and uh, Chief Larry Snelling, uh, you know, I guess expecting he would be asked about this at the hearing, kind of headed some of that off. And in his opening remarks on Tuesday, um, very um, you know firmly said we are conducting an investigation, and if we find that officers. You know, do you have these sustained ties to extremist groups? We will do whatever we can to remove them from our ranks. How that exactly is going to happen, I think, is still remains to be seen. Yeah, like how is
0: he going to identify and then get rid of extremists? Yeah, and,
2: you know, there, and then of course, like, you know, there's so much arbitration that could come in, and, you know, the union contract, that's a whole factor here, too, I'm sure. But, uh, the, um, But uh, the superintendent kind of made that firm statement and all the people pretty much applauded him. The only pushback I heard slightly was from Alderman Nick Spazzato, who is a pretty firm um, pro law enforcement voice um, up on the northwest side who called for a thorough investigation, not a swift one. Um, What we heard from people like Pat Dowell um, saying, like, this is low hanging fruit. Like, Can we we should get these people out of the police department? There's already a trust issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, This should shouldn't be a long extended process. And um, the chief of internal affairs said it should take less than six months for this investigation to play out. Interesting. Didn't have an exact timeline.
0: Brandon, one group that's got uh, concerns about whether Superintendent Snelling can actually police his own department, that's the Community Commission for Public Safety and Accountability, uh, that civilian-led police oversight panel. So how do they want this handled?
1: Yeah, so they voted last night to approve uh, basically a a referral recommendation to the inspector general uh, to do a deep dive investigation into how did this even happen what are the processes that chicago police actually go through uh to screen people to see what ties they may have um there's already some some rules and laws within the the code of conduct for chicago police that bar this Mm -hmm. but they also want to examine is there more that should be added there as well to be more specific, you know, yeah. to talk about groups that like the Oath Keepers who targeted institutions and government? Right. Um, so they want a full examination of what happened here. What are the processes? And the inspector general seems like they're on board with it as well. They've been pretty critical as well. of CPD having these because this is not a new story. I mean, we've heard about this for a while right. the adl blew the whistle Especially on the, this the
0: proud uh the proud, proud boys yeah and yeah. The,
1: the, when that leaked document came out i think in was it 2021 2022 the adl blew the whistle a lot of people so um
2: the fact that they're still there nine officers at least still on the force there yeah. it's got to be looked at it's, and it's oh, it's yeah. interesting that i mean we're seeing the commission you know doing the work now this is a new commission it was uh they formally took office this year they were elected this year right that's right and obviously they um You know, had a search process for the superintendent is one of their duties. Yeah, they had
0: a big job immediately.
2: Exactly. But they also, um, you know, craft policy and propose policy. So here's maybe we're seeing kind of how this police oversight mechanism is working in real time.
0: Right. And, I, I some people thought their job was over once we right. got snelling, right? It's like, no, no, they're they're still active. <laughs> they're weighing do, in, yeah. Do you think that having the inspector general look into this makes sense, Dan?
3: Yeah, I would think so. I mean, they're probably the um, you know, agency within the city that's best equipped to to deal with this kind of thing. But I think we saw what was it, a year or so ago when there was a member of the Proud Boys that was found to be within the in the ranks of the Chicago Police Department. Um, Lori Lightfoot, who was mayor at the time, said she wanted to get rid of that person and had a really hard time um, doing so. So mm-hmm. I think um, you know it will be interesting to see, especially with I think we're going to talk to you about the new uh, police union contract and some of the discipline um, measures that go along there. Just how that how that will all play out and whether yeah. they'll be able to actually purge these people from the ranks. Yeah,
0: let's let's go there, shall we? Late last week, the city signed a contract with the police union, but this week Mayor Johnson made a bold move regarding that contract, Quinn.
2: Right. Well, you know, we're seeing um, a proposal for about 20 percent raises um, for officers as well as a a one time bonus that could come down next year. Um, But, you know, in the package of the deal, uh, we are seeing um, this one angle of it, which has to do with police misconduct cases. Um, And um, there's been a ruling that uh, those some of those most serious cases, uh, officers could have the uh, decision to go to a private arbitrator, a group of arbitrators, rather than the public police board. Um, so that is now being asked to be voted on by the Johnson administration in two separate planks, which is um, pretty unusual. I, so we're their city council, all their people will be asked to vote on the kind of benefits, wages side of things, okay. and then um, which. The Johnson administration is touting, uh, and then they're being asked to not devote down the other part mm. of the um, proposal, which so is splitting the it up. kind of oversight mechanism. Splitting it up, and um, I mean, I haven't been covering City Council for too long, but I haven't seen anything quite like this. Um, you know, in 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 terms of labor relations, there's um, a lot of questions
1: as to whether it can even be done. Yeah, you know, because. When you bring in an he just arbitrator, that up? it feels a little made up because when you bring in an arbitrator, they have legal bearing. This was a they handed this down. They made a decision. They stood by it. Um, so if the city council votes to reject this, we may just go into a whole nother back to square one, you know, whole new contract dispute with FOP mm-hmm. and negotiation process because FOP has the right then To just completely terminate the contract at that point, which at this, at this, where it goes till 2025. So we still have a current contract. That's where the, I think that's where a lot of the confusion came about the story early. Uh, There's still a current contract under that, that needed to be, there were some provisions there that needed to be altered that Lightfoot didn't get handled. That's why the arbitrator came in. Mm. But can you actually split that up? That's really the big debate.
0: And, he didn't have the police union support when he ran for election, right? So I mean, is this I guess the first serious clash that we're seeing now? With Possibly. The I mean,
2: I think the uh, the deal in some ways is a pretty good deal for police officers, right? <laughs> you know, you could say you know they might not agree about the um, you know public arbitration part of it, but. You know, yeah, we could be this could be setting up a possibly the first real clash uh, for Mayor Brandon Johnson uh, with a big labor union. I don't expect he'll be clashing with the Chicago Teachers Union, um, but uh, you know, this we'll see what happens. I mean, I know that um, uh, FOP Chief uh, uh, John Cadenzar has vowed to to fight this, so uh, in the next couple weeks we'll see how it goes down.
0: So you you see them taking this to to court, Dan? Yeah, I don't don't know if they'll go to court, but
3: they'll. And that might end up being their only um, Avenue to to push forward on it you know I think it was um, the way that they were seemingly able to settle it pretty amicably before this kind of surprise uh, turn here at the end um, was a good thing for for the mayor because I think people were expecting a lot more um, tension with fop and when they were able to come in and negotiate a deal in a relatively quick amount of time um, you know it seemed like a, a Feather in his cap, so to speak, but yeah. now um, this this uh, twist at the end is going to be an interesting. Right before thing the twist, the like
2: it seems like okay, let's just get this out of the way, so mm-hmm. like we don't have to deal with this when it you know down the line, and we can kind of focus on you know uh, what we promised to do, our agenda, and here we are. There's the quirk here that we you know maybe is going to lead to a clash.
0: All right, Dan, legislators were back in Springfield this week, as we just heard. So what exactly is going on during the veto session? Sure. What are they doing? Yeah, (laughs) so
3: um, it's called the veto session because traditionally it's uh, designed to deal with any legislation that was passed in the spring that then is vetoed when it gets to the governor's desk. There have been very few vetoes over the few years that Governor Pritzker has been in office now. But here in the first uh, year of his second term, he seems to have found the desk drawer that had the veto pens in it (laughs) because he was a little more active this summer. Um, and um, vetoed uh, legislation that would allow for the construction of new nuclear power plants in the state. Um, He um, line item or mandatory vetoed a a couple other bills, one that would have allowed the downstate utility Ameren to build a transmission line uh, without having to go through a competitive bidding process, um, some other stuff. So they're dealing with some of that. It also is an opportunity for them to um, take up some issues that maybe didn't quite get finished in the spring Um, heading in. You know, Earlier in the summer, it looked like uh, something to help the Bears with their potential move to Arlington Heights ah. might be on the table. More money for uh, the migrant crisis here in the city might be on the table. But those things are kind of um, back heading into the fall. So uh, what has sort of risen to the fore is this um, tax credit scholarship program that is set to expire at the end of the year called yeah. Invest in Kids. Yeah,
0: let's dig into that. Um, Invest in Kids Scholarship.
3: Yes, it has been controversial for several years now. It was created under uh, the previous governor, Bruce Rauner. And uh, Pritzker, as a candidate for governor, said he would get rid of it. Um, threatened to a couple times in budget negotiations, but it has hung around, and now um, it will expire at the end of the year, the end of this calendar year, mm-hmm. if um, if the legislature doesn't act here uh, when they return uh, in a couple weeks for the second half of the veto session. I see. Uh, um, the governor now has come out and said, if the lo- la- lawmakers send me a bill that would extend the program, I'll go ahead and sign it. Basically. Um, There was legislation introduced this week that would make some changes to the program, extend it for, I believe, another five years. It would sort of reduce the uh, amount of the credits people get for donating to this scholarship fund. It would lower the overall um, amount that's available statewide to people to make these uh, contributions um, and try to do some things to make sure money is being more targeted to people in low-income neighborhoods where maybe there aren't good public school options Mm -hmm.
2: for for those families. And it seems like the governor punted a little bit on this, I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's throwing it off to legislators, he's saying, okay, yeah, sure, if he gets to me, yes, but he's not using his uh, immense power to, you know, sway it one way or the other. That's correct, and even that
3: sort of, um, you know, hands-off approach has really uh, drawn the ire of the uh, Illinois uh, Education Association and the Illinois Federation of Teachers, the two big teachers unions in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, comparing him to conservative Republican governors in other states who are uh, in favor of school choice, things like that, saying that, you know, he's sort of uh, backed off on Democratic Party ideals by supporting this. Um, so it's it's controversial, but I think, um, you know, it's a relatively small portion of the budget. So there are enough Democrats who support it and Republicans pretty much blanketly support it so mm. that if they can figure out some kind of deal, they'll try to get it done possibly.
0: Speaking of uh, Republicans, what what about the assault weapons ban? Are
3: they trying to make changes to that? Um, you know, they maybe, but they're not really going to get any traction on that. The big, the big issue there: um, two things. Uh, the state police has just set up, starting this month, their um, system for registering guns that are now banned that are grandfathered in people who owned them at the time that the ban went into effect in January, um, and the Seventh Circuit. Court of Appeals. The Federal Appeals Court here in Chicago is still working on its decision um, that could potentially overturn the law. So we've been waiting for a few months now uh, for them to to indicate what they're going to do, an issue that will potentially... Um, probably very likely end up in front of the U.S. Supreme Court at some point in time.
0: Couple more issues I want you to clarify for us. They're they're looking at uh, stuff impacting the cannabis industry too. Fill us in. Yes, um, there was an
3: effort in the spring to uh, to make some changes to the law that went into effect in 2020 um, that legalized cannabis in Illinois. Um, you know, Governor Pritzker has talked often about how Illinois has been very equity-centric in its approach to legalizing the cannabis industry. I heard him say this to a conference of cannabis industry people a month or so ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, um, those what they call social equity businesses, people who, um, people of color, people who come from communities that have been disproportionately impacted by, by the war on drugs, um, are having a hard time getting their businesses off the ground. There was lots of red tape with getting the licenses issued in the first place and legal challenges. And now um, some of the issues are that There are restrictions on how big their cultivation facilities can be to start, and that's making it difficult for people to attract investors, so they would Mm -hmm. like to be able to start bigger sooner. Um, There's also supposed to be opportunities for people to get into the uh, transportation side of the the industry, but the big growers are now transporting their own product, uh, which makes it hard for these third-party transporters to get into the the industry. So there Mm -hmm. are people who would like to make it more like um, alcohol is distributed, where the distribution industry is separate from the manufacturing industry. Got it. Um, So this is an ongoing conversation in spring. the unclear at this point whether it's going to advance this fall or roll over into the spring, but um, it's going to be an ongoing issue, um, you know, to, I think, for people in the industry who want to make sure that Illinois Reality for the cannabis industry is living up to the rhetoric of, of the way it was. Right, because on the
0: outside it looked like everything was fine, but when you peel back the layers, there are some kinks to, to work out. There's also discussion happening during this session about lifting the moratorium on nuclear power plants.
3: Yes, this was a, a kind of a thing that took a lot of people by surprise over the summer. Um, the governor in the spring had indicated that he was open to this idea as a way to um, help bridge. To uh, clean more clean energy futures, we have this law in the books now that says we're supposed to be 100% carbon free by the mid-century, um, and there are a lot of folks who are worried that we won't be able to get there just on wind and solar. Um, this moratorium has been in place for almost 40 years now. Um, has to do with concerns about what do you do with the spent nuclear fuel once mm-hmm. it's used. There's no national solution for that, um, but supporters want to be able to allow these. Um, smaller nuclear reactors that can be built maybe in places where coal plants are shutting down, natural gas plants are shutting down. The governor seemed supportive of that. The way the bill hit his desk, though, he said would allow for large-scale nuclear power plants to be built once again in Illinois, which he doesn't support. Um, so. There's the potential that they will either vote to override his veto of that bill, or they're also working on negotiating maybe some language that would satisfy the governor's concerns. And
0: Dan and Brandon, you both have some unionization updates here. I'll start with you, Dan, on uh, uh, legislative staff, right? They want to form a union. That's
3: correct, yeah. Um, Some uh, employees of Illinois House Speaker Chris Welsh uh, formed a a, um, union earlier this year. They have some complaints about pay and long hours and and things like that, which... um, Having been down there during session days, I could attest to the fact that those staffers work very, very long hours. Um, They had tried to get voluntary recognition from the speaker and from their point of view got pretty much no response for several months. Um, He then introduced a bill that would allow them to do this saying like, I can't just voluntarily recognize you. We needed to change state law to allow this to happen. Um, And it's been interesting now that after sort of months of silence from him, he's casting himself as a champion of of this issue of letting his staffers... uh, organize. The big question is whether the Senate is going to take up now the bill that the House just passed, um, because there hasn't been really as much noise coming from the Senate Democratic staffers about, um, you know, the want or need to organize. And the Republicans pretty much don't see it either. And they see a lot of the labor issues that are going on within the legislature as a problem of management of the work that is done in the legislature. Mm -hmm. It's the fault of the Democratic leaders for not being more organized, not having the trains run on time, or that people are stuck working these crazy
0: hours. Well, let's stick with union issues here for a moment, Brandon. What's going on over at Columbia College?
1: Yeah, Columbia College uh, is expecting to strike the part-time faculty on Monday. Disclaimer, I am a part-time faculty member. I'm not a member of the union. I'm not striking. But many are. Uh, They say 88 percent of members voted to authorize the strike. Um, And the union's most recent contract, it expired in August. Uh, So a big part of the dispute here is the typical things you want in a, you, you expect in a strike. They want more pay, more benefits. Uh, part-time faculty want health care benefits, especially, um, which gets prickly because they are part-time. However, the majority of Columbia College's uh, faculty staff is part-time faculty, so it's very unique. It's uh, compared to other colleges in that sense. Uh, the last time a strike happened was 2017, so this is it's been a little bit. Uh, Columbia argues that you know they think they've offered a a fair contract fair wages Uh, another big sticking point here is course offerings they've been slashing course offerings at columbia college the college says that's to survive and uh, make a dent a two million dollar dent and a 20 million dollar deficit pretty big there small dent but still pretty big um and the faculty say yo those course offering cuts impact us impact our students We want better there. So that's really the crutch of the dispute. Uh, They voted to have the strike, so Monday they're expected to uh, walk off the job.
0: Over in Lakeview, Quinn, workers at Berlin Nightclub, that's a popular LGBTQ plus bar, they're calling for a boycott. They are, yeah.
2: I mean, uh, if you've ever been to Berlin, it's really a famous um, nightclub, drag shows, and DJ nights. It's really um, a great spot, if I do say so myself. Um, But Currently, um, employees are calling for a, at least a temporary boycott as they um, look to um, get uh, wage increases, um, health care paid for, and other benefits from the owners, um, Jim Schumann and Joe Webster. Um, they uh, formed a union earlier this year, and uh, now on this Wednesday, they had a rally outside of the club to call for um, these uh, benefits to come through. Um, the club uh, owners say it's impossible. They say um, that it, it would cost them up to a uh, half a million dollars in the first year of a contract alone, and that as a small business, they can't manage that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they're kind of at uh, loggerheads here. It doesn't seem like there's going to be a resolution anytime soon. Um, and yeah, we'll see what happens. So but they until want health then, insurance. Health insurance and some pension benefits and wage increases. Um, they, uh, you know, all of the unionized employees uh, don't work more than 27 hours a week, so they don't necessarily qualify for mandated um you know benefits uh, through, through okay. the, the state that's according to reporting we did this week um and then owner uh workers kind of make a, a huge range depending on tips everywhere from like 22 dollars up to 57 dollars a night that's according to a statement from the owners um so i think they want a little more um you know uh a solid solid uh footing here um, yeah. as they go forward. And until then they're asking uh, patrons not to go to berlin Labor is really having a moment. I mean, st- strikes it the is. Lord. Yeah. It is. Yeah, for been, sure. I
3: mean, I just even thinking about Columbia, you know, I think mm-hmm. earlier in the year, maybe losing track of time, I think it was the beginning of the part of this year, uh, you know, four or five state universities. It was January had, yeah, of this year. Yeah, yeah. UIC, I Governor remember. State, exactly. Chicago State. Exactly, yeah. um, and, and not just in public universities, private universities. We've seen organizing at the museums here in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. Yeah, labor really is, um, you know, pushing forward. You've got the UAW strike
0: that's going on right now. Yeah. Um,
3: it's yeah. It's been it's been a big moment. Got the actor strike still going say on
0: too. still still happening. Yeah. Uh, this is reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and you are tuned into our weekly news recap. Our panel today: Dan Petrella of the Chicago Tribune, Quinn Myers of Block Club Chicago, and Brandon Pope with CW26. Dan, I want to talk about legislation that could impact us here in Chicago. Uh, there's a bill that's being proposed to allow Chicago school board members to be paid.
3: That's right. This is part of the transition that's um, sort of underway to a fully elected school board. It will begin next year with the election of half of a new 20-member board plus a board president, so 21 total <laughs> members. Um, and um, they still have not drawn the final maps for what the board districts are going to look like, but they're now talking about whether um, the the members of the board should be compensated for their work Um It would be an interesting move. No other school board members in the state of Illinois are are paid for their work. There are 800-plus school districts, each with their own school boards across the state. Um, You know, Chicago obviously is a little bit different animal than than other school districts in the state. Um, And there's the question of, you know, on the side of people who support this, say, if you want to attract people to the school board who are not lawyers or, you know, business executives who can afford to, to take time off of work to go serve on a board like this, you need to compensate people for their time so that they can afford to participate in this and afford to maybe represent
1: different voices um, than would otherwise be able to be That's a good point.
0: What do you think, Brandon? Would it diversify who's on the board if, if they're paid?
1: You would think so. Yeah. I mean, uh, you don't want that to be a barrier. You, know, you, have, you have many parents who are working class who may work a night shift, who may work multiple shifts at a job, those are were who I think you may want to have on a board, right? You wanted their voices to be heard. If they have to choose between free labor <laughs> and what they're going to get paid for to pay the bills, yeah. they're going to choose what's going to pay the bills. So I think in theory that makes sense. But the timeline here—correct me if I'm wrong—they don't have a lot of time to get this done.
3: No, I mean the election is is in November of 2024, and so like people need to know what the districts are going to be like. Where yeah. are they going to Where are they going to be running? Yeah. Um, so it's you know in this conversation about compensation goes back to a couple of years ago when they approved the the bill to authorize this transition and it was one of the issues that kind of never got settled um,
2: in that discussion. So it's being being brought back yeah. up and, right now. And this push to pay it doesn't say exactly how they will be paid or how much, correct? It just says okay, we, we can let you get paid. Is that
3: yeah, as, as it's drafted right now, the, the legislation would basically authorize the board itself to by um, resolution say we can we can get paid. Yeah.
0: Um, Well, let's, uh, before we take a pause, turn to a a couple updates here in the the migrant crisis. Now, uh, things got tense, Brandon, at a community meeting Wednesday in Brighton Park on the southwest side. Just fill us in.
1: Yeah, another heated community meeting. Uh, Brighton Park especially, a community to zero in on, because this is the same uh, ward where uh, 12th Ward Alderwoman uh, Julia Ramirez and her aide were swarmed. We heard about that uh, last week. Um, The proposal here, migrant base camp. It'd be at a private lot uh, over on West 38th Street and South California Avenue, take about 1,500 people there. Um, but this meeting was happening three blocks away from where, you know, that that earlier scuffle actually happened. So tension's still very high. As mm-hmm. they been at all these meetings, uh, residents voicing safety concerns, uh, Alderman Ramirez talking about how there will be more policing around the area to to assuage some of those concerns there, but also concerns about... Inhumanity, the inhumane conditions. Potentially, there were members. Of their voice and that they just didn't feel like the conditions were even safe for people uh, to live in, especially as the winter time comes, which is like still a big question here. It's about to get colder really quick. Oh yeah. And are have, these are these tents going to handle that deep freeze? And they haven't built them yet, though. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. I do. We're,
2: <laughs> we're still waiting. There's I mean, so much it, conversation it, around. Uh, we have no uh, idea what these it are could actually. Hit Twenty gonna be degrees like. next week. Exactly. <laughs> Nighttime temperatures are dropping. Um, we still don't know, and there's, the city's still doing an environmental uh, assessment of the yeah. site. Um, mm-hmm which, you know, we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, it, the question, okay, are they, when are they going to build the tents? It's going to take at least a couple of days to get them up. Then moving people in, it's going to be yeah. mid-November by the earliest, I would think, yeah. until it happens.
0: People want answers. I mean, they had uh, dozens of residents who showed up who were unable to get into Kelly High School Auditorium for that meeting this week because of capacity. And folks were pounding on doors yeah. trying to get in. Like, And, and you're also know seeing,
1: you're seeing anger, too, because people are thinking, well, if you can build tents now, why couldn't you do that earlier for the for the thousands of homeless people we have in the city? You have those concerns as well going on too, and uh, you know some of them are justified. You know we're seeing solutions come up. We're creating solutions for this, but you have communities that feel like they've been di- disinvested in, not receiving resources. They're now seeing mm-hmm. uh,
2: those resources go somewhere else. So you're seeing a lot of rage really in multiple communities from that. And, and I will say, you know, the rage, the tension gets the headlines. But at the few meetings I've been to and Block Hub has been at so many of these uh, migrant shelter meetings, There are always a good amount of people who say, how can we help? We welcome these people to our communities. We want them here. Um, We want to provide coats for the winter. We want to, you know, help them integrate to our community. So it it is. A, you know there are those two sides there and yeah. sometimes they're not even necessarily in conflict i think a lot of people who have frustrations well, also feel that way yes very and. important to know yes yeah. And. yeah
3: and one but one of the issues there is that the city does not allow volunteers into the shelters that it mm-hmm. operates mm-hmm. um so there are people who want to help who are be turning away being turned away and obviously there might be safety concerns there there can there are legitimate reasons why that might be difficult for the city to manage yeah. but um not a lot of you know, insight into what's going on in those shelters.
0: Well, Quinn, you mentioned that you and and your colleagues at Block Club have been to quite a few of these meetings as well. Just tell us uh, briefly the update there. The city's announced some changes to uh, a migrant shelter in
2: Ukrainian Village. Sure. So this is a uh, migrant shelter that will house up to 200 people on Western Avenue, just north of Grand, near Smith Park, kind of on the border there um, of Humboldt Park and Ukrainian Village. Um... Earlier this month, there was a somewhat contentious community meeting um, where people uh, were both supportive and outraged, particularly around the fact that initially this shelter would host uh, single men. People said, this doesn't fit into our community. We have a bunch of schools here at Park. There was a lot of pushback on that. And again, there was pushback on the pushback, people saying, no, we want these people here. Please, how can we help? Um, This week, uh, in a letter from um, the uh, deputy mayor, um, Ponce de Leon, to... Alderman Gilviegas, the ward is in his site. The city uh, made a perhaps political decision to now house families at this site. So early next week, by mid next week families will likely start moving in there. There is another update uh, that I reported on uh, in the story today. Uh two neighbors are now suing the mayor and city officials to try to halt this facility. Mm. Um, they live within 500 feet of the um, proposed shelter and their whole it's uh their whole argument is that the city did not follow proper zoning and building permit regulations yeah. to to build this. That is that is true. Like The, the city has said repeatedly um, the governor's disaster proclamation lets us kind of skirt some of these – relax some of these zoning rules to build these emergency temporary shelters. Um, basically what this lawsuit that was filed this week is asking is saying – wants a court to decide if that is actually constitutional, if the city can do that under the governor's order. If they rule it's unconstitutional, that there's going to be a big fallout for the more than two dozen, I believe now, temporary yeah. shelters that we're seeing – um, many of which are not, you know, zoned or have not gotten that special use permit to um, host a temporary shelter. Um, wow. But then again, it could be uh, dismissed. So we'll, we'll we'll wait and see on the it's lawsuit. It's a big case to watch. Yeah. Ooh.
0: Well, yeah. Uh, leave us with this here, Dan. The the city, it just renewed this controversial contract with the firm that staffs these shelters. Right.
3: That's right. Um, the company is called favorite healthcare staffing. They're based out of Kansas. Um, some colleagues and I at the Tribune and also some reporters at, at NBC5 have, have dug into the um, contracts and the payments that this company has received and found some really um, extensive use of overtime, uh, people working 12-hour shifts for weeks at a time uh, in these shelters. Um, there was already controversy because the lack of transparency. Mm-hmm. Volunteers, even you know, um, aldermen not sometimes being allowed into the shelters, um, and so the city did sign a new forty million dollar contract to extend it for another year. Um, Mayor Johnson's administration has, you know, tried to pass the responsibility for this contract off to the Lightfoot administration in the state, who negotiated the original contract with this company for the response to the COVID pandemic. Um, The the state's contract with Favorite is ending now next month, but the city has just signed their new contract, so it will go on. They are trying to find um, other companies to come in and run some of the shelters. They've gotten some proposals to do that and are sort of in the midst of that transition. Um, No full details there yet, but Favorite will still be around and will still be staffing
0: A grand jury indicted a Plainfield landlord of a hate crime, murder, and other charges in that fatal stabbing of a six-year-old Palestinian-American boy. In southwest suburban Hickory Hills, a Palestinian family is reeling after receiving a letter that's threatening to quote-unquote burn them in what police are now investigating as a hate crime. And in another related story, a man accused of pepper spraying pro-Palestinian protesters over the weekend, he was charged with a hate crime. Can you give us the details of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, things are just getting heated all across the Israel-Palestine conflict locally and, of course, overseas. And it got really chaotic. Uh, Originally, there was supposed to be a demonstration, a pro-Israel demonstration in the loop. It got canceled because of threats, alleged threats to the people that were going to be there. Um, This pro-Palestinian group was going to show up at that loop, pro-Israel rally and, you know, protest. They decided to move to Skokie at another one. Um, That one had about 1,000 people there in attendance. Um, There was a man there, 33-year-old, Zevulen Ebert, who he was allegedly wearing an Israeli flag. He maced a group of protesters um, after snatching a Palestinian protester's flag. Uh, A Sun-Times reporter also got caught up in that macing. You know, when mace gets thrown, it goes everywhere. Um, He was charged earlier this week with a hate crime enhancement. An aggravated battery, which is interesting because hate crimes have gone up um in across the country, but also mm-hmm. in the Chicago area. A new FBI report came out just last week showing in Chicago alone, hate crimes went up 84 percent in 2022, with Jewish people being the, the primary target, the largest increase, but also Arab people, black and brown people also experiencing a lot of that as well. Yeah. So we see these headlines. We see what happened to the young boy, uh, the killing he, uh, you know, and that that family suffered d- during that. Just a lot of things popping up there. Um, you also had this man who allegedly fired a gun at that same exact protest.
0: Right. Another man. And, and so and police and witnesses say that um, he fired the gunshot, but he wasn't charged.
1: He was not charged. Cook County uh, State Attorney Kim Fox decided not to bring charges forward against uh, against that person. Not sure why they have not been identified there. Um, but no one was hurt in the incident. Um, you know, the shot went up, but everyone ended up being OK. So maybe that's part of the reason.
0: Let's hop over to West Suburban Downers Grove. Uh, a school requested additional police patrols. This was after discovering a swastika on the playground.
3: That's right. It was, um, you know, likely done, the school said, Monday after after students had left for the day and discovered by an adult uh, Tuesday before they got there. Um, but just another you know, incident showing the rise of, of tensions on, on both sides of this issue. Um, and obviously, um, you know, very scary thing to happen at, at an elementary school. Um, but like Brandon was saying, like, I, I showed up to the state office building over on Monroe Street this morning and uh, was not let in at first because apparently there had been some kind of protest outside there this morning. There was mm-hmm. pro-Palestinian uh, messages chalked all over the, the sidewalk when I went in, came out about an hour later to come over here and that had all been um, hosed off the sidewalk apparently it oh looks like um, so tensions are are very,
0: very high and um, it's yeah it's a, it's a frightening time so Governor Prisker spoke out about the um, alarming increase in Islamophobia and anti-Semitism as we've been talking about. He did this alongside Bill Haddad who's the the founder of the Arab American Bar Association of Illinois. So let's listen to a little bit of what Haddad had to say
1: today I regret to say that the onslaught of hate crimes against Arab Americans
2: and Muslims is far exceeding what we saw in the aftermath of 9-11.
0: And here's the governor.
1: This moment has brought intolerance and bigotry and hatred from other groups, not Jewish or Muslim, but the ones who seek to use this moment to foment attacks upon either or both communities.
0: And, Quinn, the governor says that he supports people's right to peacefully demonstrate. But clearly, based on what we're talking about here, it's going beyond that.
2: Oh, totally. I mean, it's a a condemnation of some of the horrific attacks we've seen. Um, And, you know, I I do want to mention, though, that most of what we're seeing have been peaceful. Uh, You know, even on Monday, there was a um, group of um, several uh, Jewish groups um, called for a ceasefire and, um, you know, to support to end the um, current, um, at least temporarily, conflict um, in in Gaza, uh, between Hamas and Israel, so I, you know, yes, there is this uh, outright condemnation of all of these um, awful things happening from pretty much every politician uh, locally. Um, but again, you know, I, well, as we've seen, there is a, a uh, we have a right to protest. People have a right to protest, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that continue as, uh, as the um, conflict is not ending anytime soon. Mm-hmm.
0: Brendan, let's turn to something very different for a second here. Thirty-three states, including ours, they're suing Meta. What's happening?
2: Yeah, they're suing the big dog. Meta
1: owns Facebook, Instagram, and probably <laughs> the big dog. Probably Foursquare as well, if it still exists. Uh, they fought. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they're one of Illinois is one of 33 states to join this federal lawsuit that was filed in California. It, it alleges that platforms like that Meta creates they harm kids, um, but they also have been what they say deceptive in their practices, misleading the public about the risks of social media, and then also. Um, they're, they have concerns about the fact that um, they believe meta violated the Federal Children's Online Privacy Protection Act by collecting personal data um, for people under the age of 13. We all know personal data is a big issue around social media anyway but tisk, tisk. you I mean Sasha, you're a parent. I mean trying oh, yeah. to trying to you know handle your kids and their online presence and dealing with that's working in itself. Exactly exactly. <laughs> so uh, you know call Me Raoul called this a crisis. Uh, our our attorney general so they are trying to put some legal tooth behind uh, this fight here and try to hold meta and some of these social media uh, sites accountable dan
0: let's listen to governor pritzker again he also had an announcement where uh, he believes this plan will help kids it involves consolidating some different state agencies
1: for example early childhood block grants are managed by ISBE. early intervention and home visiting are managed by dhs and daycare licensing is managed by DCFS. That makes it so much harder for providers and parents to navigate our programs. What are the details here, Dan?
3: Sure. So as the governor said, there are these different functions that all touch the earliest years of a child's life that are housed in various parts of state government. And the idea here is to bring them all under one roof, under under one umbrella, to sort of streamline those services, make sort of one-stop shopping for the parents and providers who need them. Um, One of the big interesting things to me is the proposal to take the daycare licensing um, function away from the Department of Children and Family Services. Um, That is a perennial issue that comes up in Springfield. Anytime um, there is a tragic death of a child that has been in contact with the agency, um, and lawmakers, policymakers look for ways to um, revamp that agency, which has had struggles for, for decades now, um, and frankly, what's a very, very difficult job. Um, one of the things that always comes up is, you know, should they be focusing solely on child protection and family reunification, those sort of core missions of the agency, and let somebody else handle daycare licensing? Um, this is now what the governor is proposing. It'll be interesting to see if lawmakers move ahead with that um, and whether that does allow DCFS to do a better job of what really is the main job it's, yeah. it's supposed to be doing.
0: Well, gentlemen, before I let you go... Chicago landed on the top of yet another list. Are you excited? Oh, no. thrill. Don't get excited because <laughs> it's for being the city in the U.S. with the most rats. Ninth year in a row we've Woo. been able to claim this title. Yeah. Third year in a row, this is something else I found out, we're top for most bedbugs. bugs. <laughs> what? Quinn, what are oh, we doing? What, what's,
2: what's going on? Well, I don't think it's all about Paris. What are we doing wrong? You know, uh, I don't think this is going to come as any surprise as to any Chicagoan who's ever taken their garbage out to the alley <laughs> or, you know. Um, so, you know, we are uh, top dog once again, or top rat, I should say. Um, and, you know, this comes as actually, um, there's been some criticism of how the city handles rats over the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in Mayor Brandon Johnson's 2024 budget, the Bureau of Rodent Control. It's getting uh, a boost. It's getting about one point five million dollars more um to Give them all the money. To essentially uh kill rats, I guess. Um <laughs> Bye. You know, they that's gonna that's gonna be three more crews of rat killers. Um so I guess that uh, that won't hurt. You know,
3: I see the governor and public officials tweeting about a lot of different lists that the city and the state end up on, but I did not see they any social media posts about this. And right.
0: sadly, we got to leave it there. My thanks to Quinn Myers of Block Club Chicago, Dan Petrella of the Chicago Tribune, and Brandon Pope of CW Twenty Six. Thank you so much for catching up with us. Of course, so thank you.